Hello everybody, this is Noah and John and we are from Urban Digs and we are talking Manhattan. John, we got a good one today. We got Neil Garfinkel here. Yes, we okay. do. And you know, if you don't know Neil, you should know Neil because he is broker counsel of Revney as well as an attorney, a, a partner, I suppose, at Abrams Garfinkel. And so he's all over the place and he knows his stuff like no one else. Yeah. And he, um, you know, he has the legal line with Revney, which is just invaluable. Um, every single agent should be should be looking out for that. Um, but Neil, enough about you. Well, actually, let's get into you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, and always my pleasure. Happening. Oh, I, I look forward to this. I always I look forward to talking to you guys, whether it's on the air or off the air. So you do you do an amazing job. I looked for all of your content and, and you do a great job for the community. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. And, and, and we love talking to you. Um, we miss talking to you in person, of course, but this is the next best thing. Neil, tell everyone what is going on out there. You see a ton of deals every single day. You're on the front lines. What's happening? So, you know, our practice is um, obviously we're counsel to Rebney. So we're constantly talking to the members of Rebney all day long. And that's always very busy, it's whether it's transactional or what's going on from a legal perspective, a legislative perspective. We're right now in the legislative session, so there's a lot going on. We can talk about that a little bit later. Um, we represent a ton of banks. We do a ton of closings, both on the origination side and the payoff side. I will tell you, we had an enormous February, um, just unbelievable how many bank closings we did. Um, we have a huge footprint there. I mean, I have about, you know, 70 some odd people in my bank closing department. And then on the purchase and sale side, also extremely busy. Um, <clears throat> we, over the last couple of days, I got to tell you, two, three new deals a day. And interest, you know, it's not only, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, um, you know, it could be a little bit of a bigger deal. It could be a small deal. It could be a Long Island deal. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. So if you had to um, explain this, this, this change, this relative change in the market from, I guess, I guess you know, we always use COVID as a reference point six, eight months ago. Um, do you see anything in the price trends or in the concession side, anything that, that buyers and sellers out there can extrapolate what's happening real time with leverage and negotiations? Yeah, so I guess there's one thing I want to focus on, which I was talking about the bank closings, right? Um, just to be aware, we've had historically low interest rates the last two years or so. So the refi market, the purchase market, it's been great. I will tell you, interest rates are starting to definitely tick up. So to the extent that if you are sitting, you know, if you're a purchaser sitting on a fence, you may want to consider, um, and, if, if, and if it is interest rate driven, definitely talk to a good mortgage person. You definitely want to talk to a mortgage person and get a sense of, of where that's going. I don't think anyone expected that interest rates would stay where they are, but it's definitely it's definitely going to go up. Um, <clears throat> you know, in terms of the the, the pricing, um, we don't generally get involved in the pricing per se, right? They come to us after the generally the price is negotiated. Not seeing a huge amount of seller concession. I think the, you know, certainly Long Island is very hot. Like it's we're talking about the top of the market bidding wars types of things. I think the Manhattan market seems to be stabilized. We seem to be doing a, a bunch of deals. And so while I'm not, I'm not price driven, I can tell you that, that it, it, there's definitely something going on. And, um, and so that's a good thing. 
Yeah, that's that's if I could drill into that for a second. I'm just curious if you could compare the sentiment to, on either the buy side or the sell side from from the from the clients and the deals you're working with to say the sentiment last year pre-COVID or or years prior. And I'm just wondering, are, are is there more heat under the feet of buyers right now, or is it sellers that are, are you find are just trying to get the deal done faster? Yeah, so I think it's a great question because what I'm still finding, regardless of the context. When a purchaser comes to us, they they feel the need to act quickly, and that's and as a firm, that's what we do. And mm -hmm. so there's always a need, um, you know, if you're representing the seller, you got to get that contract out. If you're representing the buyer, we got to get our due diligence done, because whether there's a deal hanging around or not, there still seems to be this perception, and it's an important perception that we need to get the deal done, and. And so as opposed to, well, I'll think about it. No, there's still an urgency to every deal that we do. And I think, and obviously pre-COVID it was like that and it, it had been building up to that. And I feel like we're back to that. I mean, this morning, bunch of emails, why isn't the contract signed? You know, we're, we're well, we're still waiting on the due diligence from the managing agent. Um, and so, so maybe some of the other parties are, haven't caught up yet, but, but we are still feeling that pressure. You know, again, early yeah. morning emails to this morning. Where is this deal right now? Yeah, these are the intangibles, right, John? I mean, I mean, I remember when we were transacting and representing buyers way back when. And these are the things, you know, when you have a buyer that's missed out on a couple of things and the market's starting to get hot again and you have some people on the side that could disrupt your current deal in place, it gets quite nerve wracking from a buyer's broker's perspective. And, and the way you extrapolate some information from what you're saying is that like, we didn't really have that six, eight months ago. No. Um, it, it was the sellers probably saying, guys, what's going on? Sign the deal. Now you're starting to see these things on the buy side saying, let's go, let's go, let's get this contract signed. Yeah. Right. And I'm hearing that too from agents. Yeah. And if I could just, if I could just follow up with that, no, I mean, you know, if you look back, say like a year ago, the, the plan for due diligence was the same as it had been for the last decade. Maybe there are a few advancements. But we're in a completely new world on the due diligence process, Neil. And if you could just kind of walk us through what's changed, you know, what's for the better, what's for the worst, and if are there any sort of you know roadblocks right now that are just jump out at you that can just sort of make, you know block a deal? We're still living in a COVID world. Any way you cut that up, and and I'm anticipating that's going to be like this for certainly the next three, four, five months, and hopefully people get vaccinated and we will start to come out of this and and so on. But my point is that. People are still not in the office. I, I'm in the office. We, we were deemed an essential business on March 20th when everything was shut down because we represent the lenders and the lenders were deemed to be essential. So from my perspective, I'm accustomed, you know, yes, I, I come in three days a week now, but I'm accustomed to having a fully functional office, albeit less people. I lose sight of the fact that there are so many businesses that are working remotely, including managing agents um, and, co-op and condo boards that that there still is um, there's still a slowness to the process because of that and and I think it's it you know you have to recognize that I lose sight of it sometimes but if a managing agent's not in their office they don't necessarily can't get us everything as quickly as they might as they might want to and, and we need to understand that <clears throat> just and just adding my lender hat you know there are still lenders nationwide that are not in the office. They don't go into their office. So for example, when I'm representing a lender in a co-op payoff, they send me the stock in the lease. And then I go and I bring that stock in the lease and I pick up a check at the closing. 
it used to be that that turnaround time was, you know, two weeks, three weeks, 30 days, whatever. You can't take that for granted anymore. It, it is the turn times are significantly longer. If you're a seller's attorney, if you're a seller's broker, you need to remind your seller's attorneys that they need to order those stocks and leases immediately because it's not un it's not uncommon for it to take 60 days. So, so there is definitely um, pressure on the transactional cycle by virtue of at any point, one of the participants may have restrictions or capabilities that are diminished by COVID still. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Neil, are you seeing any situations where contracts that were signed that are trying to close and the banks are coming in uh, with appraisals too low? I haven't seen that yet. I haven't at seen all. I haven't seen appraisal issues. No, I've seen the other issues, which again, waiting on a bank or to, you know, to finish something up, but, but no, I haven't seen appraisal issues yet. So what are the, so what are the issues? What are, let's, 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 let's talk a little bit about the current challenges that you're seeing. So brokers are aware of them. Maybe they can navigate around them in okay. advance. So if we're talking from a financing perspective, again, historically the lowest interest rates we've ever seen, the banks are so overwhelmed by the amount of applications and the mm -hmm. need to get business done. They can't hire people fast enough. I know that we can't hire people fast enough. I could hire, if I could find 10 really good, solid people in this industry right now, I would hire them right now. If anyone's looking for a job, let me know because I would hire. So, so right there, you have the ability to get a quick turnaround on a mortgage. Not going to happen. It's just not happening. Um, then you go to that other side again, which is collateral, right? Whether you're closing as part of a purchase assignment to save on the mortgage tax, whether you just need to get that stock at least at the closing. If you're waiting on a bank, it's going to take some time. So you have to be aware of that, no question about it. Um, again, whether, if you're dealing with the managing agents, they their turnaround time approvals, whether you know if you have a board, you need to get the approval. Definitely um, just getting to the closing table can, can be significantly slower. Yet, you know, I'm really I'm appreciative of my fellow attorneys and fellow brokers. I mean, we've done it. We've done it in the last year. We spoke probably April um, of last year, maybe it was May, and our conversation was, was not this kind of conversation. Yeah, so, it was very different. Yeah. Right. So I think we all need to be very grateful that we've gotten to this point and that we've able and that we've done so many closings. It's pretty amazing what what as a community we've accomplished. Yeah, I think I think last year around this time, you know, we were talking with you as well as, you know, cats uh, and mats. And, you know, one of the things they brought up was the the. Um, legal industry in, in the city kind of came together and they kind of put together sort of a, a COVID writer that sort of governed a lot of the, you know, the, the fine print on some of these. And I'm curious, is that writer still in place or is people still using that or has that been changed significantly since last year? Um, I'm sure that it's being used. Um, it may have been modified over some period of time. I mean, again, you know, April, May, I was participating in Zoom calls with 15 other real estate attorneys. You know, we had never done that before, and it's and it and we're not we're no longer doing it. So it was amazing the way that there was no playbook. Obviously, none of us had any ability yet. We came together and we were, um, you know, we worked together. And and I will say, look, when you're dealing with a real estate attorney, a good real estate attorney in New York, 
they know what they can give, they know what they need to get. And that's, and, you know, it becomes problematic when you have someone who, you know, doesn't practice real estate law. I'm not trying to do a divorce. I'm not doing personal injury. That's not what I do. I'm not sure why other attorneys feel that they can readily just jump in and do a real estate deal. Right. Hey, Neil, um, fair housing and, and uh, I guess um, changes that are coming that, that brokers should be aware of. I know you um, are always sounding the horn on this. Um, what, what do you have to say about that? So um, in 2000, uh, November 2019, Newsday, the, the main paper on Long Island, did an um, a, a investigative report. For three years, they had done fair housing testing. And what they discovered over those three years was widespread, widespread discrimination. And it's been a major topic for, you know, you can't really open the papers without, without seeing about this both locally and nationally. As a result, there have been a number of initiatives, um, whether it be from the governor's office, the Department of State, and then more recently as part of this legislative session, there have been a whole host of fair housing driven bills um, that uh, that have been passed by the Senate on our pending in the assembly, which we anticipate are going to be passed. We participated in, in speaking to the legislators and, and giving them insight into what, what, you know, what we thought was important. Um, and so coming down the pike will be, um, will be a group of uh, fair housing bills, some of which focus on continuing education, some of focus on you know, standard standard operating procedures, how brokers are conducting their businesses, um, and so on. I mean, I think the the good news, particularly for my constituency, we've always talked about this. We, you know, we have the toolbox for real estate agent success, which focuses on a checklist builder. I believe that every real estate agent should use a checklist for every transaction that they do. They should have a list of things that they do on every transaction, um, and then deal specific. Uh, checklist that they should follow. And so, so you have that standard standard operating procedure. And what it does is it makes them more professional because you're not going to forget to do something. I don't know about you guys, but I need, like, I won't go to a closing. You'll see without a checklist, I don't get up from that closing table without checking off every box. We don't do right. contracts. We use checklists because we can't remember to do everything. Um, and so I think the idea of of doing that over and over again makes you professional, but it also gives you the ability to treat everyone the same way, which is what fair housing requires. So mm. heads up, you know, I've been, I'm speaking right after we get off here to an office. I all, you know, do that all week long going through these bills. But let me say this, it's important, right? If, if I say to, to the real estate community that we do this amazing thing, we help people with their shelter, right? And what's the most, one of the most basic human needs is shelter. And so I think we lose sight. We, you know, we get caught up in the complexities of the transaction and the emotions, but let's remember, we are helping people find shelter. They have a place to live, they have a home. And so when you talk about fair housing, everyone should have that right. Nothing should diminish yeah. everyone's right to, to, to equally access that shelter. Absolutely. And yeah, what, what is that website of your toolbox that you could just say verbally for? Yeah, for so, so it's the word toolbox with the number four success. So toolbox for success.com. Okay, great. Uh, John, any, any final questions for Neil? 
No, yeah, you know, I, I, Neil, I think you hit the hit the nail on the head there when you talk about having a checklist. And you know, I mean, if you're approaching this simply from the sell side, the rules for a co-op are different from a condo, are different from a new dev. And then it's you know, you have townhouse versus you know, multifamily. I mean, you got a lot of issues. So it's it's very helpful to understand all the various aspects of that. And I'm just, you know, before we go, Neil, I'm just it, it made me wonder if you haven't just boneheaded stories of, you know, people violating fair housing or anything like that, just not, not intentionally, but sort of, you know, just innocently sort of, you know, a comment or a, just a, 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 a inclination of the way of doing business that's just in violation or in not in the spirit of the law. So um, first of, you know, I have a favorite saying, which is um, everything's good until it's not. And I'm the guy that gets the call when it's not. So Unfortunately, I see a lot of boneheaded activity all the time. And our job is to, you know, is to take that, to take the things we see and share with the community how they can avoid that. With fair housing, it's, fair housing is very complex. And, um, and so generally my concern is that people are gonna violate fair housing, not because they intend to, uh, but because they're just not aware of, of the laws and it happens all the time. So. Yeah. You know, someone, there's a new receptionist at, at, a, um, at a, a real estate office and they get a phone call, hey, do you take, um, you know, do you take uh, programs? And they don't even know what that is. And they say, I, I don't think so. And, you know, so that's the kind of thing where just a lack of training, a lack of understanding puts them in a position where they, they violate fair housing laws. So, you know, I, I always say, I have a lot of favorite sayings, but one of my golden rules is never answer a question if you don't know the answer to the question. We're all professionals, but you can't be expected to know everything. And when you try to fake that, it's a huge problem. It's, it's okay problem. to say, I don't know. Nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. Yeah. I say, I don't know all the time. And if it's appropriate, let me get back to you. Or so, so right there alone. And I always, and another golden rule when I'm teaching is, if, if you think something violates fair housing, because people will ask you questions all the time, who lives in that building? You know, that type of thing. And that you shouldn't answer that question. That That's not a question that you should be answering. So um, yeah, so so we see it all the time and it is about education. Well, John, thank, thank you for asking that question that we're all probably thinking. Um, this has been great. No, this has been great. Thank you, Neil Garfinkel. Thank you so much. Um, broker counsel to Rebney, managing partner at Abrams and Garfinkel. That is John Walkup over there. I am Noah Rosenblatt. We're both from Urban Digs. This has been Talking Manhattan, and we'll catch you next time.